Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You know, in the past, God chose to call fishermen and tax collectors to join him on his mission. Today, he still calls the broken. They may be sons and daughters of mechanics or of business women and men. You may be one of them in a position of lay or vocational leadership in a church or a mission agency, maybe an educational institution or denominational leadership. But if you, like me, find yourself unexpectedly in leadership, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. We want to welcome you uh, again to the Unexpected Leader podcast. This is our fifth episode, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Lois Mitchell. Lois, it's good to have you with us. It's great to be here. And Lois and I are joined with Phil Woodworth. Phil, it's great to have you with us today. That's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Phil, just as we get started, just give us a sense of where you're at in ministry right now, what church you're at. Take us there for a moment. Sure. My wife and I have been in Charlottetown for the last 17 years. This is our 17th fall. I started at Cornerstone Baptist Church as a youth and family pastor, and two and a half years into that time, my role changed from uh, youth and family to the lead role position. The lead pastor had resigned at that time, and the church family asked if I would kind of step into that role, and I was, I was quite young in that role, kind of late 20s, and in a spot where I really didn't know kind of what I was really doing in that role, and relied a lot on uh, some great people that were here and God's grace. Um, And it's just been a really fun ride ever since. And as a church family, we have been a witness of God's grace and mercy in how he has grown people and grown our church family, not through any particular algorithm or patterns or purposes other than just trying to love people really well and to teach and preach the words of Christ in a way that people can grasp and understand and apply them in their life. And it's just been a, a lot of fun. I think we've kind of grown from about 140 people in Cornwall to now kind of well through the 600 number on a Sunday morning. Uh, we have a couple sites, one in Montague, one in Stratford, some great staff in both those places, Pastor Gordon, Pastor Tyler. And uh, it's just fun to watch God draw people to himself and to realize that what he does in the hearts of a human. We can't do that at all, uh, but just be faithful to the small things that he does ask us to do. And to watch that all unfold is, is pretty spectacular and pretty humbling. Well, thanks for that. I think back with you saying, you know, you were here two and a half years. It's a transition in leadership. You come into, you know, the role of being the senior leader. What was that like for you being that late 20 year old entering into that season? It was interesting in that my senior pastor at the time, his wife uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer, so they moved to Boston to receive some treatment for her. And while they were away, we kind of filled in the role that he was doing. So that kind of year absence, it was almost like unbeknownst to me, uh, you're going to figure out what this looks like, preaching every Sunday and a lot of the pastoral care duties and some of those things, uh, you're kind of just drop in your lap and you swing hard and you try not to make mistakes. And it was a unbeknownst to me, a a year-long interview, if you will. No one thought of it that way, no one viewed it that way, but kind of through the the lens of looking back, when that conversation began to unfold, like I knew them, they knew me, I knew some of the unique spaces that we were in that I think served where we were going to be going after that uh, well. It was kind of a, a, a very confusing time for our church family with some of the extenuating circumstances around it. And it, it was just a real moment where God showed up in some pretty amazing ways. And the church family really saw that. Uh, and, and I saw that too. I, I think one of the more pointed moments for me 
was kind of just sitting with my dad uh, over at Steve's Finer Diner in Riverview, explaining to him the landscape that we were in, expecting to hear this like four point, here's how you go forward. And that wasn't it at all. And it was very simple, simply said to me to say, uh, love the people that you have and God might bring you more. And that whole like might bring you more was quite interesting. And to really just focus in on loving the people that we have. And we did that. We tried to continue to do that for reasons I don't really know. God brought us more and continues to bring us more. I love that advice from your dad. Mm. That's uh, powerful. When, one of the things that we love to ask is the question, uh, is this where you thought you would be when you were in high school? No. I thought I was going to be a gym teacher in the school system. I loved athletics. I loved people. I loved kids. I loved sports. I loved all those things. And I had great gym teachers growing up. Uh, Mr. Wood, Mr. Murphy, and a, and a host of others, Mrs. Harris. And I'm like, I want, to, I want to do that. Like, this would be a lot of fun. I got involved in camp ministry in grade 9, 10 at Green Hill Lake Camp with Stephen Allward. And I think that would have been the first time that the idea of ministry was planted in my life. Stephen, just a fantastic boss, fantastic example of being a Christ follower and using one's life for the glory of God, could feel a weird, well, if I don't become a gym teacher, I could always go camp ministry, or if I don't go camp ministry, I could always go into the gym teaching world. And it wasn't really until a week before, a week and a half before university started, on my way to youth convention, kind of back in the day, stopping at Crandall or ABU at that time, and walking through the building before they had their official opening for their first year classes in their new campus. And Bob Murray was kind of walking us through. He, he was the athletic director at the time. And, and walking through and like seeing myself in the library, seeing myself in the cafeteria and in the dorm. And I don't have a lot of those like vision-like experiences that would be one of the few in my life, uh, probably the only one that was that vivid, uh, of God basically saying, you're going to be studying here, your life is not going to go where you thought it was going to go. And that was a real pivotal moment where I did not, I did not anticipate that. I did not necessarily want to go down that road, but by that time, through camp and through my own faith development, uh, I was very open to this, <laughs> this new idea that uh, God had other plans in store for me. And, and so my training for ministry began really at, at ABU Crandall now. And here I am. Uh, it's, been a, it's been an exciting journey uh, all the way around. Phil, I can't help noticing we're here at Cornerstone Church, and we've had a little bit of a tour, and it looks like a place that's really set up well for kids, for kids and, and youth. How much of that is you, is your, your love for kids and your love for activity and stuff? Is that part of what you bring to this congregation? Yes and no. I would say our church grew in some very unique, wonderful ways. Uh, it was quite young. It continues to be quite young, but it did not have a fully developed children's ministry as it does now. And part of the weird humor in it for me is in an age where churches must do this and must do this and must do this. And, and if you don't do that, then you're not a good leader and all the things that go along with that. We are a, a great example of God's grace and 
comedy where we didn't do any of those things and God brought people and that has been really fun. Like we didn't have the decals on the wall. We didn't have the spaces that were clearly defined and God continued to bring people. Uh, and the one thing that people would say of, of Cornerstone, I think, is that they would say it's through the Sunday morning teaching aspect that, that brought people and Courtney Chisholm, our staff now, and Victoria and Nicole and my wife Amy, who's in the nursery, they were kind of brought on as a, all right, now we have to bring some rhyme and reason to the several hundred kids that are under grade six. And they have just, oh, they're fantastic. Uh, the work they've done in the physical space, the work they do with parents, the work they do with their kids, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The, the growing side of it. Um, God's humor, the people that really have brought rhyme and reason to it, uh, really would be through Courtney's leadership, who, my goodness, she is amazing and loves the Lord, has a, a keen sense of God's call on her life uh, as a mom, as a nurse, and now as a director of children's ministries here. And it's been fun to watch her grow in a pastoral role, a ministerial role, uh, that would be foreign to her two years ago and yet responded to this call in her life. And it's been fun watching God use her in this way. Is it a mixed generation congregation? Are you mostly young families or do you have uh, seniors and older people involved? One of the, the real special qualities of our church family is that it would have uh, a doing gene rector who are well in their 80s, who love the Lord deeply, right down to single mom, 21, two little ones, just starting in every aspect of faith and life. And there's a great smattering of all of those. So it would be certainly weighted on the grade six and under. There's probably 200, 250 kids in that space. And then four to 500 of anyone older than that. But it's a good smattering across the board of ages. And you talk about um, sort of the gifts that other people are bringing to ministry. So can you sort of put a finger on what gift in particular that you bring to ministry? I love people. I love enfolding people. I love to teach. I love to preach. Uh, and I try to make those things married together closely, where if, if you're going to give up your time and come to a Sunday morning, then I want to do my very best work in to say something that is true of Christ and is incredibly relevant for your life as a dad, as a mom, as a boss, as a grandparent, as a whatever you are, that when you leave, you are still thinking about it on Tuesday or Wednesday, and that the Spirit of God just continues to do what He does. And that's really all I, I have to offer. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm organized, uh, but then other people who are really organized will look at me and like you're not organized. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of where I would fall in those spaces. Phil, going back to um, some of the advice that your dad had given you when you found yourself, you know, unexpectedly in that leader role. I wonder, um, have there been other people like your dad who have kind of been part of your journey who you would look to and kind of say, you know, those are mentors. They might be close to you in terms of friendship or relationship, but also maybe even authors that you've drawn from. The people in my life that have been huge helps and big shapers uh, certainly would have been Steve Allward at camp. Uh, his, 
his mentorship, his understanding of life in the kingdom of God was a great model and example, uh, right down to the micromanaging of little things to the macro perspective of things. Uh, that was a wonderful experience for me early, kind of 16, 17, 18. I worked under him for six years at camp, and, and that was really formative in my life. Uh, obviously, my father in different ways, just watching him at home, uh, at church, uh, in different atmospheres that he was in, particularly around ministry with men. Uh, Dad has a really unique ability to do that well and watching him in that space. My younger brother David, uh, we're, we're close friends, we're, we're great brothers, uh, and we are continually counseling and bouncing ideas and preaching each other's sermons to each other. Uh, that's a real formative force in my life. Authors, uh, I think Dallas Willard and N.T. Wright, Eugene Peterson, those three would be big ones in my life. Um, I remember while at seminary, Craig Evans saying, don't read books written by pastors. Read books written by people who've dedicated their life to a particular theme as it relates to faith and formation and spiritual disciplines and doctrine and pay attention to how they study and how they read and how they write about something that they've studied for 30 years. And I, I have just followed that advice. I'm not a big reader, uh, so the authors I pick, I want to make sure that they don't write on everything. They just write on one or two things. And I find the quality of that author just superior to a pastor like me who would write about everything but an expert in nothing. So I try to lean into the ones who are just really sharp on things that are very true of life and living and hear what they have they say and how they unpack it. When you think about the role that your dad played and the role that Steve played and helped shape and mold you at a young formative age and kind of really poured into that leadership shape. How has that impacted your ability to help shape young leaders? And so I say that with the knowledge that you're one of, if not the pastor in our denomination, who has hired the most young staff in the most recent. Uh, and I can think of, I think you and I have talked before, it might even be five or six under the ages of 35 that you've seen grow into leadership roles or brought into leadership roles. So how do you think that has impacted you? And if it has impacted you, how do you see your role in cultivating young leaders? I think the thing with Stephen was he would give large pieces of responsibility when you're 16, 17, 18 at camp. And I think that would be the largest piece for me where with our young staff and with just people who are involved in ministry, I tend to give a a wide berth of, of opportunity and responsibility. I try not to get down into the weeds of how you go about doing it, but just ensure that it's that it's done. Uh, Tyler and Montague, Gordon and Stratford, you're more than qualified. You are great guys who love the Lord, who are gifted in your own way. We might go about it differently, but I I trust you enough that you're gonna. It's gonna be excellent, and it's gonna be done excellent through the gifts that God's given you. Um, With with Courtney, with Nicole, Victoria, and others, I I try not to look over their shoulder. I try to give them a lot of space and freedom. I, I trust their heart for the Lord. I think that's the biggest piece, and all of it is. You want to see men and women and young kids uh, know Christ, walk with Christ, be fueled and shaped by the Spirit of God. And I know you well enough that there's a deep-seated comfort in that, that this is what you're going to do. And that would be, the, I think, the biggest thing that I, that I try to do is just create spaces for people to really kind of flex their muscle and do what God's gifted them to do in the special way that they can do it. As we think about the church's role within society and Christian's role within society, in terms of 
the gospel and making the gospel not only relevant, but central to the lives of people as they come into the church. And I know people come in at all different phases of their own spiritual journey. Could you just speak a little bit about that, how you navigate through some of that, or what are some of the touchstones that help you with that? I would be someone who would spend literally no time trying to figure out the millennial, the Gen Xer, the the modern, because I think regardless of age and stage, I think the human is the same. I think there is a longing for community and relationship, and I think that there's a deep-seated, I think there's something greater than myself, uh, and those two things alone shape everything that I try to do. Whether you are 16 or whether you're 64, those two things are true. Where do I find meaningful relationships with people? And God has placed this mysterious longing for something beyond myself. And if I can somehow highlight that for whatever stage you're in, and if God is real, which I believe he is, if Jesus is real, which he is in the spirit of God, if he's drawing all men and women to himself, then I lean into that far more than trying to figure out the weird algorithm and Rubik's Cube of the millennial mindset or the because that's a tireless never-ending every 18 months reading someone trying to figure out and by that time you're already late to the game because that's moved on to the next conversation so I find in the the language of like church is different church is different now in some ways yes but in the ways that matter no and this is the, the weird irony humor I find because we would be a great example of we spend no time on that stuff at all and yet, by God's grace and humor, both millennials, Gen Xers, seniors, middle-agers like me, whatever I am, uh, they're all here and they continue to come because we try to highlight these two things that I think are just real and true, woven into God's design, lost in the fall and redeeming in Christ, that that is the giant hook into people. And we try to spend all of our time on, on those two things, this longing you have that's not unique to you. That's kind of wired into your soul from God himself. And I want to tell you about them. And you can find meaningful community here. And everything else is just gravy and dressing. I, th- I think you can grow a church and pay no attention to the latest leadership, the latest trends, the latest Twitter, the latest whatever. Because that is forever changing. But these things just don't change uh, in, in the soul of a human. And if we can speak into that, I wish, I wish we would do more of that. So just a follow-up question to that, and, and I love the emphasis, the focused on as humans that we long for community and we long for a place to belong. And But I think as I, as I work with um, university-age students, and I love to work with students who have that solid kind of foundation, but then as they, as they get out or engage with more of an academic world, I, I actually see the academic world as giving them an opportunity to build a foundation. And I, and I would agree, the foundation is, in a sense, already there uh, through their faith. But, you know, they haven't really engaged with what does this mean? What does this faith mean when I get out into the world and when I'm in the workplace and, and all the settings I'm going to be? So it, within the ministry of the church here, in discipling, in, in the educational component, and in your preaching, so are you preaching more to growing their discipleship, their faith, or is your preaching more lean towards people who may be coming in that are new to faith or not yet at faith? I think there's a way you can do both at the same time. 
I think Tim Keller has got some great material on how to preach to the heart and for our cynic, for our stranger that has showed up and they don't know why they're here, I try to crawl up inside their worldview and dismantle it from the inside out to show the gaping holes that are there. And while we do that, our own Christ follower is listening like, oh, like that's a neat way to speak into that aspect of life. I would like to think that the teacher in the pulpit is coming to a place of, and then this is what it looks like to follow Christ. Uh, so kind of crawl up inside a worldview, dismantle it gently from the inside out, and then present the alternative way, the upside down kingdom way that Christ would reveal on all matters of life and living. And, and we just try to do that well. And whether that's a, uh, a brand new Christian or a longtime Christ follower or someone who they have no idea why they're here today, that, that all three of that audience is engaged on a Sunday morning as we kind of walk them through who Christ is and what he said about life. One of the ideas when we started to do this podcast was not only to get a sense of the unexpectedness and how God draws us into ministry and who he uses around us to form us in that journey, but it's also maybe to kind of catch a glimpse into what are some of the things that churches are struggling with or walking with their people through. We've formed it into this question of, you know, what are the most common conversations that you're having with your people? I think one of the big ones is the conversations of identity. Men and women, kind of there's like the general stereotypes that both would bring in uh, with work and self and trying to help people move from, well, I I am this. No, that's your that's your work. Well, I'm this. No, you have kids, uh, but that's not who you are. So I think that's a big one that was just kind of an ongoing, and I don't think that's unique to our time and place. I think back to growing up watching men and women in my church growing up, like those issues are still true. They just talk about it a little bit differently. It would get manifested a little bit differently, but there's still very much identity issues that have gone from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. So I think that would be one of the big ones. Um, and the other one, and this kind of is a, a pet peeve of mine, is kind of dealing with a generation where the gospel has been, say a prayer that, oddly enough, you can't find in the scripture, and just sit back and wait till the Lord returns. I'm like, that's, I don't know where that came from. Well, I do know where that came from. And trying to help people understand that you've just started the, the race. Like, you haven't even begun to lean into, now go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, you haven't even begun the conversation of, uh, that character formation as we follow Christ and allow the Spirit of God to, to bring about in us naturally that we would be a person that reflects the fruits of the Spirit rather than these are behaviors that we must do. These are organic from our soul that wells up in a life that is love, that is joy. Um, so I think those would be the two dominant conversations with our people of Issues of self and identity would be a dominant one, whether you are outside of Christ or not. That's just a dominant one. Um, and then those that are inside Christ, it's, well, I said this prayer when I was five. Surely that's not the last time that you had a meaningful conversation with God. Surely that's, surely there's something more to your story than this conversion moment. That was 40 years ago, and you're still angry. You still struggle with lust. You still... Christ shapes these things and helping people see what that looks like through the course of time. 
you referenced your brother, who's also in ministry, and that you guys are always preaching your sermons at one another. Uh, it's going to be an interesting family table to be around. But I think I know what you mean by that, that you and your brother have been involved in a preaching cohort where you guys uh, take time to break down scripture together with a few others. Could you just talk with us a little bit about that? Because I think that that's actually a phenomenal model. Some of our listeners might benefit from how you and your brother go at that. Sure. Uh, one of the greatest gifts as a preacher is on Monday, I go to a file and I open up a file of a sermon that we wrote five months ago. And the hard lifting has already been done. The tyranny of coming into the office on Monday and thinking through, well, well what am I going to say this week? And writing a series in the middle of a series God bless those who do, but I I would die in that world. So years ago, my brother and I began, through patterns and through rhythms, getting together for a couple days and saying, let's write a series on this. And it could be, uh, let's work through James, or it could be, let's work through the issues of worry or fear, something along those lines. And we'll kind of walk it through and do all the kind of the heavy lifting of a sermon at that time. And that's a great space of... When there are other perspectives, it's sharper. Like what you're saying is sharper, and it's on point, and it's developed properly, uh, layer upon layer, brick upon brick. And I just know personally that that has served me as a preacher well. It has served our congregation well. Like there are, there are people who, emails over the years that have come in to talk about how, how sharp things are that get down into the weeds of life where it takes kind of the gospel at 50,000 feet right into the moments with your kids and how that's an example of this way over here. Uh, that, I think, has been awesome for, for me as a preacher, for our congregations, respectively, in Petticodiac and here. And, and it's a lot of fun to do that. And then on Thursday of every week, after we then take that frame and, and make it our own, we then preach it to each other. And we're listening for areas that are confusing, that are not clear, that, that might be said in a way that people would get lost and then not listen for the rest of it. And I, I would say, if you're getting into the pulpit and no one has ever heard your sermon, that's a risky game. Me on my, by myself in my office can get down theological trails that can be dangerous uh, if there's not someone else like, that's not quite right, that's not worded quite right, and that whole Priscilla kind of meeting with and shaping the gospel in a better way, uh, we kind of play that role in each other's lives where, is this clear? Can I say this better? Uh, is this right? And, and that has just served us well over the years. And I wish that pastors would take the pulpit serious and I wish that they would say it out loud to another sharp ear so that when they come into the Sunday morning it's it's sharp and on point and I know that in in a week of ministry these are my 25 minutes with whoever is going to be there and I want to make sure that I say it right I know that it's all the Holy Spirit I know that I know that but I also know that there's a call to be excellent and sharp and use the gifts that you've been given and I know that's a vital role in our preaching ministry is on Thursday around noon, we're like, all right, I'll preach mine, you preach yours. And we hear it for the first time out loud. And we're like, ah, oh, that was awful. And that section was really muddy. And that section was not at all clear or undeveloped. And we share examples and data and illustrations of very real things that are both current and relevant for our life. That's a huge process for us. 
Yeah, I think that I do. I, I think that's amazing. And I'm so I'm sure not only a gift to each of you, but that's a real gift to your congregations as well. My question I was I was thinking of because you're right. Some people and you reference like there's the Holy Spirit working in the midst of it and all of that. How often do you just open up that file on Monday morning and you start to read through the the big heavy lifting that you've done and you just go, this is so timely. It's eerie, actually. Uh, I remember a couple of years back. We were working through uh, the Gospel of John, and there's that moment where Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to the tomb, he weeps, and there's a really kind of weighty moment where the divine Son of God is mourning for the loss of a friend. And we wrote that in July, and that week in our church was on the heels of three very real, significant losses. And I'm like, I could not have planned or picked a better sermon. And the gift to me was I didn't write it in the emotional week of that week. It had been done months before. And there would be dozens of moments like that where we've done the work, not knowing at all the landscape of what's going to be out in front and just trusting that somehow, some way, and time after time after time again, because in the moments where I've needed it to be right, magically, and I say that sarcastically, magically, it has been spot on in a way that it could never be spot on. To try to wade into these weeks with emotions high, tired because you've done a funeral or whatever, and try to be on point would be a real challenge for me. And it it has just served us well. Yeah, I think the way the Spirit moves in those moments and that preparation it's uh, difficult for us to kind of say, oh, no, God can't move in that way because time and time again, you've seen it and I've heard others in similar situations. It's purged of Lois's comments to me on Monday. It doesn't somehow leak into the sermon in a passive-aggressive way, misusing the pulpit kind of way. Uh, So I'm kind of guarding that as well in it. Yeah, it's really honoring the... um, the gifting that God's given you and the calling that he's giving to you to lead in this congregation in an unbiased way. And I think that's, that's another piece of beauty to it. As I listen to you describe the process with your brother that you go through, I, I, just, I think that's amazing. I haven't ever heard that or anything even remotely like it, I don't think. But it also makes me think, as a person sitting in a pew listening to a sermon on Sunday, like it, it reminds me to appreciate more the process that goes into writing a sermon. But it also makes me think, are there ways that you currently use to help prepare your congregation for the sermon every week? And do you get feedback? Like pastors, week after week, are pouring themselves into this 20, 25-minute message on Sunday. And because of the pace of life, you know, everyone's busy and rushed, and, you know, people are waiting to get home. And uh, do you get much feedback on your sermons, or do you get many questions or uh, opportunities to follow up? I'll answer that in three ways. I think we rob our people of how God might want to be speaking into our communities by just buying and using someone else. I I find that to be like, I am paid to do this. (laughs) I'm not paid to go and, and preach what was preached. Some like great resources and wonderful teachers and all those things. Uh, So I wish, uh, I remember Jonathan, not Jonathan Wilson and Barry Morrison at seminary talking about how it's going to be between 18 and 25 hours of work and hearing that, I'm like, that is nuts. Like, who has that time? And now I'm like, no, I wouldn't want to spend my time any other way uh, getting ready for the Sunday morning. Uh, so I don't know how serious we take it. 
getting our people ready for. Uh, we try to post on Facebook kind of every Thursday, Friday, uh, kind of the graphic of the series, week three, this reference, uh, please read so that it's not the first time that you have heard the text uh, that already before you get there, God is reminding you and bringing it back to the surface, if you will. We create a reading guide with all of our sermons so that on the first Sunday of September, this went out, so it's, it's all of our dates, all the references that are going to be there uh, so that people are engaged. Like, we're, we're at least, I don't know how many do it, but at least we're, we're doing the work to say, we want you to come into the Sunday morning ready. We want you to come in to the Sunday morning, have engaged the scriptures, and, uh, and allow the Spirit of God to prepare you for how we're going to work through it on the Sunday. Um, so that's how we try. And then we get together in our small groups and talk about the, the text that we work through and questions connected to the Sunday morning or questions connected to the references that we've been highlighting. So we, we do that part. Now, the ones who take it serious, oddly enough, they are the ones who grow. They are the ones that you can see, like, like you came ready. And it's obvious through the course of months and years when you see people lean in in that way. Uh, so we do our part to at least create spaces for people to be prepared and then to process afterwards. Uh, I wish that more people would. That's between them and the Lord. We get a lot of feedback uh, from uh, our, the, the Sunday morning experience. Uh, we build it into our small group, and not just a sermon. Like I think we start each small group by saying, um, how, how were you ministered to this morning? How did God speak to you this morning? Because we we actually would argue that if God is a speaking God, which we think he is, that you might actually hear from him on Sunday. And it's, and it's fun to hear people say, like through that video, God spoke to me in this way, through that song or through that passage or through whatever it was. So we try to cultivate through that question every week in small groups, this anticipation that God might actually speak to you, that you might actually gain something from your time with us in that hour and a half. And it's just really fun over the years to hear people share how God spoke to them, that that, that in my life, uh, and that's been a real kind of beautiful moment in small group where people kind of open up in that way. And it's not just sermon, but just our time together uh, through the worship that Dana prepares. And, and he's just so great at, at knowing the theme and then weaving all these songs and passages together through song, through reading, uh, that all lead up for the sermon and the conversation together as a church family. The videos are kind of a, an added help into whatever it is that we're working through. Uh, it's just been real fun to, to see people respond to um, how did God speak to you on Sunday and, and help them see that this is, this is a normal thing rather than uh, an extraordinary, uncommon thing. Phil, we've been uh, wrapping up our sessions, and uh, and for you, I'll take you back to you being here as the youth leader, uh, and then transitioning into the lead role. And what advice, looking back, would you give to yourself? There was a time where I I kind of bought into the narrative of like leadership, 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 leadership. Like wherever you go, it's always this theme, and that was exhausting. Like I could go on my bookshelf and like. This is when I read all this person, and this is when I read all this person. And it's this never-ending game of model, strategy, idea, model, strategy, idea, blah, 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 blah. I spent way too much time doing that. Let me be careful how I say this. Like, it's not even really about the gospel anymore. It's not even about believing that God is drawing people to himself. Like, is leadership important? Yes. Like, are there valuable lessons we learn? Yes. Uh, all those things, but I spent way too much time trusting these things. We kind of fall into things, 
and we'll figure it out as we go. And I, and I love just watching, I just love watching God work. So I would go back and not put so much energy into some of these things because it was exhausting. And I felt bad because I come away from big leadership conferences and seminars. And I'm like, I'm not that person at all. Like, and our, our elders board at times would be like, were you at a conference? And like, they would pick up on this, like almost panicky feel in me of, of, I don't have this acronym driven kind of vernacular. And then I would come home from one and they're like, where did Phil go? So I would rethink how I would engage some of those things when I was 20 and lean into the gifting that I have. We are a shining example of you can do it all wrong and somehow God works and draws people. Ministry in some ways has changed, but in the ways that ministry matters, it will never change. And I think we can flip those around and focus on all the things that are forever changing and it's exhausting for the, the people and you. And I wish that we would keep the, the focus on the main things. Phil, thank you so much for sharing with us your story and your journey as, as an unexpected leader and as someone who's learned to listen and be open to what God has uh, for you and for your congregation. Uh, so appreciate the time that you've given us. It's been great, Phil. Thanks. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. This is a podcast from our Center for Leadership Development, and we want to invite you to join the conversation by heading to Instagram, where our username is unexpectedleader. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca. Today's episode is part of Season 1 of the Unexpected Leader Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as they're released.